Welcome back to the Jewish Growth Podcast. It's great to be with you. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin. As you may be aware, my family is moving this summer from our home in Portland, Oregon, to central New Jersey. I'll be serving as rabbi of Congregation Sons of Israel in Manalapan. And the Jewish Growth Podcast is going to continue. We will be back in full force in August. In the meantime, I plan to drop an occasional episode over the next couple of months. So, when you're hearing less from me, please know that we are still here, albeit quite busy with transition. Our podcast began with my personal yearning to share Torah with you. Every week I share Drusha in Shul, and I will continue to do so, of course, in my new position. Over the years, I became aware of a personal desire to share this Torah with more people than those who happen to be sitting in the room on a Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m., And today's podcast is based on my preparation for my final drasha at Kesser Israel after 17 years of sharing Torah every week in this capacity. And in that light, this really is a moment of personal reflection for me. The process of creating and sharing the weekly drasha has been a formative experience. I get immersed in thoughts about the drasha while learning in Shul, or running in Gabriel Park nearby, early in the mornings at my home, or in many beautiful places throughout Oregon. My wife and I would hike here in the gorge over the summer and talk about what ideas I could share in the high holiday drasha. I once heard a tape of a book about a pastor, and the pastor's children say about their father that he's always preaching, and when he ain't preaching, he's thinking about what he's preaching. And this resonated with my family. But is the drusha really that important? The Saturday morning drusha does appear to be an ancient practice amongst the Jewish people. The Talmud in Brachus 28a, according to Rashi's interpretation, records a practice in Pupadisa where of Yosef, who was the head of the yeshiva, would deliver a drusha prior to Musaf every Shabbos, much like modern-day practice. But is it really necessary? Why can't folks just learn at other times or listen to a podcast when they do the dishes? Is it really worth the effort to add the time onto our packed Shabbos schedule? Recently, I was speaking with a rabbi in New Jersey that I look forward to working with, Rabbi Chaim Leiter. And Rabbi Leiter told me about a Rebbe of his who impressed upon him the importance of crafting and polishing a beautiful drusha. And then... One Shabbos after Shul, the two of these rabbis happened to be standing together, and a woman walked over to Rabbi Leiter, and she thanked him profusely for visiting her husband that week in the hospital. And as she was walking away, she said, Oh, by the way, Rabbi, nice drasha. And Rabbi Leiter was amused and perhaps overjoyed by hearing that in comparison with his hospital visit, the drasha was just, Oh, by the way. And he took this as support, he was telling me, for his belief that the most critical thing is spending time and caring with people, and not to get too overwhelmed with polishing the drusha, as it were. And this is a tension that I have felt. The rabbi gives a speech, but is it really all that important? And of course, there are different strokes for different folks. Shul is where Jews connect, and some people love hearing the Kriya, the reading of the Torah, or singing Nigunim, or the Kiddush, or the Drusha, or some or all of the above. There's so much Ruach in a Shul, and the Drusha is one of those ways the Ruach spills out. 
But how does this spirit flow forward? When we think about sharing our Torah with other people, the Parsha provides a major revelation. After the people complain, seeking meat, Moshe is nearly at the end of his rope. Why have you done this evil to your servant? Why have I not found favor in your eyes? That you, God, place the burden of this entire people upon me. What, what am I, Moshe wonders, a nursing mother who gave birth to this people? And Moshe is so exacerbated by bearing this weight of the Jewish people, that he declares, If this is how you deal with me, God, then just kill me now. And this sentiment, just kill me, is a feeling that most rabbis and chill presidents can probably relate to. But Hashem doesn't allow Moshe's complaint to just go unanswered. And so he tells Moshe to gather together 70 elders. And what happens next is puzzling. Because instead of speaking directly with the 70 elders, God tells Moshe to take them into the tent of meeting and have them stand with you. And then when they're gathered together, Hashem explains, I will descend and speak with you there. And I will increase the spirit that is upon you. I will increase the spirit upon you and place it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, and you shall not bear it alone. And this translation that I just shared follows Unklus and Rashi. As Unklus writes, I will be revealed and speak with you, and I will increase the spirit that is upon you and place it upon them. Why did Hashem first increase the spirit upon Moshe? Couldn't Hashem have simply made an independent revelation to the elders? Rashi comments that in this moment, Moshe was domelaner shemunach agabi menorah. He was like a candle on top of menorah that other wicks take flame from, and the candle is not diminished whatsoever. Hakol madlikin heimenu ve'ein aro chaser klum. That's right. Other candles can come and take of the light. But the original light loses nothing. And so what we have here seems like an unlikely sequence. On the one hand, Moshe felt alone in his burden. And so Hashem provided support to share the burden with the elders. But how do these elders get prepared to stand with Moshe? Are they each called to their own burning bush? That certainly doesn't happen. Instead, the spirit is increased upon Moshe. And only from that point is the Shekhinah shared with those around Moshe. Why is that so? The answer may be that the spirit, this Ruach, is tenuous and it's rare. It's not simple. It's not a simple matter to go out and just ignite the flame. And so when Moshe has it within himself, he needs to strengthen it so that other people can partake. And so Moshe is in need of other people to share the leadership with But he first needs to strengthen the Ruach within himself. When Moshe has that deeper connection to the Shekhinah, then he can transmit it to others who will also take responsibility for the nation. When a rabbi shares a drusha, as much as they're sharing Torah, 
they're also strengthening their own interconnection. And once a rabbi maximizes that interconnection, the Ruach can flow further and further. Last summer, Aviel and I ran into a friend of my wife's who was telling us about their family's stroll in Chicago, and she described how much her husband connected with the rabbi, Rav Ephraim Torsky, particularly his Shabbos drasha. This past week, a congregant here was returning from Baltimore and describing how Rabbi Mutzen in Baltimore shared a fascinating drasha about Shimshon. And so people really are listening. I've experienced this in my own life many times. When I visited Atlanta, Georgia, after Rabbi Feldman speaks in Shabbos morning, my wife and my mother-in-law and the family and I will sit around at the Suda at the Shabbos table, and a main topic of conversation is always, what did Rabbi Feldman speak about today? And while I love to hear a Torah podcast or online video, there's something so real and visceral about hearing a living rabbi speak. When the rabbi speaks, there is a person standing before us, connecting to their own inner ruach and to us. And that is an integral part of the Jewish experience. I'm grateful for the digital world that enables me to produce a podcast or just hear words of Torah in my spare time. But we can also appreciate how important it is to have a real-life, living connection with a rabbi. The Rambam in Hilchah Sanhedrin discusses smicha, ordination. And while smicha is translated as ordination, the meaning of smicha is where one sage literally takes his physical hands and rests them upon the student, investing them with the spirit. And the Rambam writes that Moshe Rabbeinu gave Yehoshua smicha with his hands, as it says, and he placed his hands upon him and commanded him. And so too Moshe gave the 70 elders smicha, and God's presence rested upon them. The amazing idea in this Rambam is that when Moshe brought together the elders, he did nothing less than transmit God's presence to them. As we see from this Rambam, Moshe was the person who already had the Shekhinah, God's presence, and once he had it, he needed to, to, he needed to increase his own connection and let it flow outward to the 70 elders and far beyond. And this may explain the weekly drusha, which is such an important part of Jewish history. The rabbi through the drusha is a real person growing in and sharing of that connection. Now, of course, people can simply YouTube or podcast like we're doing here. And we live in a digital age where we're used to taking advantage of digital rabbis and teachers. But the drusha on Shabbos, with our device, our devices in off mode, really is a vestige of our past connection to Torah scholars and to God's presence. And the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos teaches us, make for yourself a rabbi. The implication is that we need to be proactive in making a rabbi for ourselves on a communal level. This can be applied to the drusha. A rabbi does not need to be Moshe Rabbeinu or of Moshe Feinstein. Every rabbi of ours is a link in our Masorah that connects us with a chain of smicha ordination. And as a community, wherever we are, we need to proactively make the drusha a sacred time. As communal leaders, we ask ourselves, what should this time look like in our shul? This time is not the rabbi's responsibility alone. It's a moment of holiness that we make happen as a kahila, a community. And the beauty of this is that when the rabbi connects with that inner ruach and others share of it, 
then it later spreads out at our Kiddush Shabbos meals, when we walk in the street, and throughout our lives. And so wherever you live, whatever you listen to, and I hope it's the Jewish Growth Podcast, don't forget about the scene. Remember the picture of Moshe giving smicha, ordination to Yoshua, or Moshe standing together with the elders, giving to them from his Ruach, his spirit. Wherever you are, you can find a living rabbi that will be a critical part of your connection with the living Torah. And even if you and I don't know one another in the flesh, please do know that I'm deeply grateful for your connection to me through this podcast. I hope that our podcast is an experience through which you can connect with that Ruach, even when we're not in person. And so I look forward to future shows as we deepen our commitment to that spirit together, because from our collective efforts, the Ruach is sure to flow and ripple far and wide. Thank you so much for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.